Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner, and ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate IT tasks via a graphical user interface for help desk or end users. Check that out on scriptrunner.com. My name is Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I'm overly happy today, or I, I think the whole week. The gyms are open again. So they've sort of been semi-open for the past five weeks uh, in, in, a, in a way that you could book your private one-hour slot and then you'd have the whole gym for yourself, which on paper wow. sounds ideal. You just go in, there's nobody else there. So, so for a Finn like myself that we actively dislike social events and, and other people, that was great. But the problem was that the available slots uh, that you... you you were able to uh, look up in the calendar, they were between five to six in the morning or after 10 in the evening. But, but now the gyms regularly open, so I can just go in at any time with the downside that there will be other people as well. And it's been interesting. Uh, I, I lost a bit of performance in, in terms of what I feel I can achieve at the gym, but at the same time, I'm, I'm quite happy. I had this small break and now I can push hard again for the next how how many ever months I'm planning to do. So so that's that's probably what's what's been keeping me happy uh, this week. All right, that sounds that sounds nice. I and like when the available slot at the gym is between five and six in the morning, I'm like, yeah, nice. <laughs> Usually I go I go up four forty five five a.m. because the kids wake up, and uh, usually I go for a. I walk with the stroller, but obviously the stroller in the gym would perhaps be not ideal, but going to the gym this time would be great. So yeah, happy to hear that you're back on track somewhat with that. <laughs> yeah. We recently got the flu, possibly COVID in our house. So no gym, no workouts. Perhaps um, the upside with this is now I can order in food without feeling guilty. So they just drop it on the driveway and then I go out and, and fetch it and we can enjoy uh, you know some some good food, so we're we're not impacted that hard, which is which is very nice, and and I'm super happy for that. But they said now in in Sweden that it's herd immunity is coming because pretty much everyone is getting it now. So most likely we got it from kindergarten because we don't meet many people either. So we really for all these two years we kept the distance and did everything we could, uh, but still it found its way. So. But what I wanted to, to mention that I did recently is, I think one or two episodes ago, I talked about some IoT stuff that I took for a spin in the garden because I have this automated greenhouse that can open and close and water itself and stuff like this. Well, I forgot some of those components in there um, in the garden, and now they don't work because, you know, obviously they were not weatherproof. And I, I know I mentioned that. And I said, I'll, I'll put them here for a few hours just to test them out to see how they work. Uh, and then I did that and then something else came up and then I forgot about them entirely. And I just now, when I looked at the notes for the previous episodes, I'm like, oh, right. I've got some things in the garden. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to run out and, and pick them up uh, so they don't work. So 
I think this is a reason to buy some new small gadgets. And I don't, like, like I usually repeat, I don't get a lot of new stuff. But when it comes to home automation in this way, which helps me grow things so we can be more self-sufficient in, in our food as well during summertime, I think it's worth it. So I will ensure that they can work outdoors, also below Celsius, so below the freezing point. Uh, so that's going to be my my next thing that I buy. Uh, it's going to be like weatherproof ceiling and cases for the Raspberry Pis and all the uh, the gadgets uh, that I have and the peripherals that I connect and then and then plug the wires down in the ground and isolate them and things like that. So it's going to be a fun project. And I'm already now, I, I did the proof of concept. It works. So I can automate the greenhouse. It waters all my plants. Uh, it opens the hatch. Uh, closes the hatch if it's too cold, starts a fan, signals if the soil is not moist enough, signals if the soil is too moist, uh, also signals when the water is too low in the water container so I can go refill it. So all these kind of things. And I'm getting this as push notifications now on my phone uh, <laughs> because I set up a webhook and I'm, I'm subscribing to that from, from an app I built. So it's a lot of moving parts, but it's kind of cool to sit inside and you just see all right, your greenhouse is still doing doing well. It takes a picture and I can see the cucumbers. They're growing. That's great in theory because now it's winter time and I have no cucumbers. But come summertime, this is going to be a really fun experiment to do. This sounds like a, like a fun fun exercise, not leaving the components outdoors, but, but everything else. Uh, before we dive into this episode, I, I need to add when you mentioned that you get to order food I occasionally do the same, maybe once a month or so. And because of COVID about two years ago, they updated the application for the company that delivers the food from the different restaurants. They updated the application so that you can you can flip a switch. I would like a no contact delivery. So whoever is dropping the food for you, you don't even need to see them. And again, for a Finnish person, that's, that's like a dream come true. I don't have to have this awkward sort of... Uh, exchange of words hi do you have my food yes here we go thanks bye now i can just wait for the guy or, or or girl leave and when i hear the elevator click yes now the hallway is hallway is empty and i can pick up my food Alrighty. so this week this is episode 122 microsoft defender for cloud secure score so i had to go back on our notes so we use one note to capture the thoughts for each episode and, and I think we have three OneNotes because every now and then the, the synchronization breaks <laughs> and we cannot recover the OneNote anymore. So we start a new one. This is the third one we are using now. It has about 30 episodes. And we talked about uh, Azure Security Center, which is the old name for Microsoft Defender for Cloud. We talked about that uh, about 110 episodes ago. So in episode 10, about two years ago. We touched on ASC, uh, and we briefly mentioned Secure Score. So, so today we'll focus on Microsoft Defender for Cloud-based Secure Score. And there's actually three scores. Toby, I think you can recite these by heart. What the what the three different scores are? Yeah. So you have the. Uh, uh, so, so now I feel challenged. Uh, <laughs> are you up for it? So I, th I think one is a security center cloud score, um, but sorry. Okay, so I I failed uh, because it's <laughs> yes, <you> called <laughs> Microsoft Defender for cloud. <laughs> it's, 
So with the rebrand of Security Center, it's the Microsoft Defender for Cloud. So you have the Microsoft 365 Defender Secure Score, or I think this is also just Microsoft Secure Score. And then you have the Identity Secure Score and, and like how you deal with uh, user accounts and, and privileges and, and things like that. So I guess these are the three. Did I miss something? No, no, these are exactly the three. And, and it's a bit confusing because Microsoft Defender for Cloud Secure Score has to do with Azure. And Microsoft 365 Defender Secure Score has to do with the productivity workloads, but it also rolls up the Identity Secure Score from Azure AD. So the Microsoft Defender, the Azure-based Secure Score, is not sort of highlighting the identity bit. You have to go to security.microsoft.com for that score. So, so today, when we mention Secure Score, we mean the Microsoft Defender for Cloud Secure Score that used to be in Azure Security Center. So that's, that's a lot of moving parts, but it's fairly simple. So this is a score, uh, both in points and a percentage, to help you understand and secure your Azure subscriptions and services. Have you checked in any of the multiple subscriptions you, you manage or have access to? Have you checked what sort of scores do you typically see? I have, because I, like I think I mentioned in every other episode, I, I'm operating quite a few things in the cloud. Uh, we're running distributed cloud solutions and obviously everything is hosted inside of Azure. So for me, this is super important to keep track of. And, and it's also a, a great way for me to, to kind of get a dashboard where it says, here's something that you need to take a look at. So my, my current score in the production workload is around 82, 84% somewhere. It goes a little bit up and down depending on factors. Uh, something, sometimes they're rolling out an updated uh, mechanism for the score. Sometimes they're rolling out uh, you know, new things they measure. Uh, and sometimes we roll out things like additional storage accounts or key vaults or web applications or whatever it is. And if they are not configured according to 100% best practices, that will also uh, lower the scores. And, and that does happen from time to time, depending also how you measure. Because sometimes when I look at the secure score, I like to take the QA and the production environment under the same umbrella, because I don't like to have a QA environment, which is not secured in the same way as production. So you do testing in one environment that, that that is not a replica of the production environment. So usually I try to do that. In QA, we don't have the same Azure policies, if you will, and, and things that might enforce certain checks. So that's why the score can go up and down a little bit, depending on how you measure it. Um, but, but that's the roundabouts where it is. Um, there are room for improvement on some things, and some things are just not false positives, but they are things that we deem acceptable uh, because you know, in, in certain ways, things are not applicable to how we do things. And I know there's, there's things like web apps should request an SSL certificate for incoming requests, which is a fairly new recommendation, for example. And when this then rolled out, well, 35 out of 35 web applications were impacted and the secure score went down, right? So whenever these things happen, the score will jump up or down. So what, what's your number? For me, I, I carefully handpicked one subscription and it's 37%. And you had something like 80, 82. So I'm, I'm definitely lagging behind. So I, I quickly had a look, what could I quickly do to, to go up from 37 by 
enabling and enforcing MFA for all users and admins, I could get an increase of 43% on top of the 37. So that would be about 80 then simply by configuring this. And this is probably something I need to do because for most users on that subscription, I do have MFA enforced, but there's a couple of whatever accounts that are not enrolled yet. So, so that's why I'm not getting the full points and, and, and the full benefit to the scores. A couple of other recommendations. So when you have a look at Secure Score, it gives you a list of recommendations on what should you do to get a better score. The next one for me, as an example, is enabling auditing and logging. So I've just been lazy on this subscription. I should fix this perhaps today. And again, get a few more points and, and, and get the score up. The, the list of recommendations, the reference list, I didn't count how many recommendations there are in total, but the, the list of the recommendations, it's about 20 pages long. So I'd, I'd say it's, it's around 100 different recommendations for now, and they keep adding more. Anything that comes to mind in, in terms of when you open Defender for Cloud, you click on Secure Score, do you look for anything else beyond, okay, the score is 80%, and then you just, just uh, control F4 or do something else? Yeah, that's, that's a valid question. So the, like, checking the score out is one thing, but the score, it's just a number, right? And for me, this is an indicator that goes up or down. And when it does go down, I need to know why. So I, I want to understand why is that taking a dip? Uh, if it's going up, I also want to see why. And, you know, what did I improve on or, or what did I do? And so what I always do is like in the secure score, you have a, a link just below it saying view recommendations or further down, you can just select any of the subscriptions that you have and that, are, that are rolling up to the score. And you click one of those subscriptions or you click the view recommendations, then you will get to a, a page that shows the secure score recommendations. You can either check, check by control, which is like enable MFA, remediate vulnerabilities, encrypt data in transit. Like all of those things are pretty vague in the sense that it's not directly actionable. Like enable MFA, well, what do you mean? But then you can expand uh, on that control and it's going to say MFA should be enabled on accounts with owner permissions on subscriptions. And MFA should be enabled on accounts with write permissions on subscriptions. And all of a sudden, it's 100% tangible. Then you know what to do. And then you can also make a decision. And, and for me, the next thing is you need to remediate vulnerabilities. You have container registry images that have vulnerabilities, and you should uh, fix and resolve them. And the reason we're getting that is in some of the Ubuntu images or Debian uh, images that we're using for Microsoft, they're relying on a specific version of, of uh, the operating system. And that in itself has a vulnerability that's been known since 2019, but there's no fix for it. And it's also not critical, but it still shows up uh, like a vulnerability here. So obviously I would like to fix that, but there's nothing I can do unless Microsoft updates their base images, which they are doing continuously. So again, you know, if you have a hundred percent score, that's great. But if you have like a big cloud and, and a lot of stuff in here, 100% might be hard to achieve. So it's always like, we talked in the last episode actually about cost optimizations uh, with the well-architected framework. This is the kind of where you do the trade-offs as well. At least that's something that I do a lot. I see, for example, you, you mentioned the logs, right? You need diagnostic logs enabled on Key Vault, on storage accounts and whatever. 
I think one of the, the main recommendations for that is the Key Vault should have diagnostic loggings enabled. But the thing is, we do hundreds of millions of transactions across all our different services, and including Key Vaults. So as soon as we enable logging to, uh, for example, a log analytics workspace, our cost will also increase quite hefty. So it's always something that you have to balance and always a trade-off. You cannot reach 100% score at the same time as you do 100% cost optimization, right? And I, we talked about this a bit more in detail in the previous episode with cost optimization that, you know, there's five pillars of the well-architected framework. Each and every one of those pillars come with a trade-off. There is, without a doubt in my mind, going to be a challenge to reach 100% secure score in a, in a big subscription or where we have real-world uh, data at the same time as you reduce all the potential costs, right? More security means more logging, means more cost. Cost optimization means less logging, <laughs> reducing the logging, removing the logging. Um, so it's, uh, it's always a trade-off. But of course, I mean, the list of controls is long. But to answer the question again, going back to the original question was, you see the score, what do you do? I go here, I click the view recommendations or click on a specific subscription. And then I can see all the controls because to me, uh, you know, I work a lot with compliance as well and securing the data we have and things like that. One of the things is all the data needs to be encrypted in transit and at rest. Here's a control saying encrypt data in transit. And it says right now, well, 40 out of 40 resources are protected or healthy. That's great. So I got a great score out of that. But in a different subscription, it says, well, here's a web application that should be only accessible over HTTPS because someone deployed uh, with HTTP enabled. So you don't enforce SSL, which of course is not something that I allow or enjoy. So two things come out of this. One, I now need to write an Azure policy enforcing this, right? So we can stay one step ahead. Number two, I go remediate. For some of these things, you can just click a button saying fix, and it's automatically gonna switch to enforce HTTPS, which is super awesome. For other things, it might say, Click here for the instructions. This is the problem. This is why it's a problem. Here's how you can mitigate, but then you have to go do it yourself. And then the next day, the score will be updated. So, uh, so there's a lot of things that I do after looking at just the score, but that's, that's from the top of my mind, you know, what, what I do on a daily basis or, or fairly regularly, at least. Really good insights. And I, I think key here as well is that the goal perhaps isn't to get to 100% and forget about secure score but instead understand what sort of activities and recommendations are still left and focus on the ones that bring the most value. Uh, on, on the scoring itself, uh, I went through the logic on how the secure score is, is calculated. It's, it's not too complex, so I, I felt it would be useful to, to quickly run through those, those three different uh, calculations here. So the individual security control, like the one you mentioned, enable MFA. That's a max score that could be, let's say, 50, divided by all the healthy and unhealthy objects and, and multiplied by the amount of, of the healthy value. That's, that's how you get the individual security control. But this is done for you automatically. And then for whole subscription or multiple subscription, they are taking the sum of all controls on all subscriptions 
and dividing that by the maximum score for all controls and, and multiplying that by 100. There's also something called the weight of all subscriptions. And they don't go into details what's included in the weight beyond number of resources. Perhaps that's the, that's the most significant variable in, in weight. So you don't really need to think about the calculation yourself, but it's perhaps useful to understand that the individual security controls, the whole subscription, and if you have multiple subscriptions, those all add up to how the total score is going to be calculated for you. So reading the score, um, do you use Azure Portal? Is, is that the way you use it or do you use something fancier? So I, I'm doing this in a few different ways. So how much time do you have? <laughs> so Azure Portal is my go-to for reading the score. And the reason for that is I, I take a look at the score and then I know if it went up or down for my various resources, but then I can also take immediate action. Like the, I mentioned, there's this auto fix. So whenever some of the, the minor things come in like enable diagnostic logging on a key vault, well, there's a button saying quick fix and then brings up a dialogue saying, here's a key vault. Where do you want to send the logs? Well, over here, whatever, click, click. So you get you know, brought to your resources immediately and can fix it. For others, it's just click this button and we'll do everything for you. Don't even have to fill anything in. Click the button and that's that's the end of it. So the portal is super powerful, but I do also use uh, the APIs. So we um, we build a governance solution in the company that I work with, and this governance solution also gets the secure score. And then, you know, from from that side, I can use our own kind of be the dog food tester of our own products, where I can use the secure score. Uh, I can take a look at that data and understand, you know, from a different angle. Uh, how things are shaping up in, in my organization. Most of the time I use the Azure portal uh, because I know most of the time something new flags in there. It's either because of a new recommendation or we deployed something new that perhaps should be mitigated. And sometimes that, that happens because Azure policies are not stopping it. It's only auditing it. So we might see it showing up, but we should really remediate it. So So those are the the ways that I usually go about. Uh, but I would say 90% is the Azure portal, without a doubt. Yeah, it's the same for me. I use Azure portal to sort of get the initial numbers and to understand what's already provisioned in a subscription. Uh, the REST API, I use that perhaps less. But what's interesting is the resource graph. So essentially using KQL to query under Microsoft.security slash secure scores. And, and for this, there's a workbook in Defender for Cloud. So you open Defender for Cloud from Azure Portal, you click on workbooks. There's a workbook already made for you called Secure Score Over Time. So this gives you the, the historical values as well. But this requires that continuous export in Defender for Cloud settings has been configured. And in order to configure that, you are going to need a log analytics workspace where you will continuously export stuff from Defender for Cloud, and you can export just the secure score values. And then you can use the workbook to, to get nice graphics. Or there's also on GitHub, I think this is uh, made by Microsoft. On GitHub, they have a Power BI dashboard you can use to pull all of this data and, and build your own custom visualization and use that on a mobile device, as an example. I, I think this is mostly it. 
So secure score, especially on Defender for Cloud, it's really useful. At the same time, it's just a number guiding you on what you should be doing to securing your subscriptions and your resources. And I like that it exists. What I dislike is that we have three different secure scores, the identity one, <laughs> the M365 Defender one, and the Azure-based one. So it's always confusing when you're talking with a colleague and they say, hey, have you seen this secure score? And you're not really sure to which place you need to go to see the same, same view to understand what should be done. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, and like we mentioned in the beginning, you have the security.microsoft.com, which is like the Microsoft 365 Defender. And I just went in now to take a look there and, and you have the identity secure score and the app secure score. Uh, which are two different scores. And then you have a total score, which is like a combination of those scores. So, I mean, there's a lot of scores to keep track of. Um, <laughs> so, because my app score is one and the identity score is a different one, um, even better, which is great. But then the total score is somewhere in between because it's probably an average of the two. And it's like a representation of your organization's security posture and your opportunity, of course, to improve that, which I really like. But as with everything, don't take the score as a measurement of success or failure, take the secure score just as an opportunity to find where you can improve things. And also to pat yourself yourself on the shoulder, if, if you come with a secure score, which is 85% and you didn't do anything to achieve it, you're, you just have an, uh, you know, a natively secure setup. That's awesome. You know? um, there's something else you can do, of course, to push that even further, but I, uh, I would, you know, my standing recommendation is use the secure score as an indicator like uh, see it as your buddy, your security buddy uh, in your SOC center saying, oh, hey, I found a couple of things we need to take a look at. That's how I see the secure score. It's not a measurement for success or failure. We don't have internal reporting saying the secure score must be this or that. I mean, I make up the, those rules so I can, which I do say every now and then, we need to have a score of this or that uh, in order to you know, ensure that we don't you know, lose any of the, uh, the, how do you call it, the security posture that we have, but there's no real wins or losses in, in that sense. I would say, take a look at it and use it because the score will inevitably go up. It will go up if you take a look and you see, here's a couple of things you can do to fix it. You evaluate what the impact will be because some things will be just a click of a button, but still with the click of a button, you can affect a lot of things. As an example here, it's because I, I, I did get this question some time ago, specifically about the secure score, uh, but more about the quick fix. So it says you click here and it automatically disables normal HTTP request and it will enforce HTTPS, which I mentioned before is a recommendation. Uh, and the quick fix just enforces SSL. Now, there could be problems when you do that. So you ha always have to think one step ahead because in this situation, we had a couple of uh, tools, automation tools running, connecting to uh, storage accounts and to key vaults and to uh, web apps and API over a web app. And the quick fix was done. Someone went in for the web app and said, well, this should be HTTPS and clicked it. But the code they had built two years earlier was using that API on that web app and it was hard coded HTTP, right? So all the automation stopped working because now the web app enforced HTTPS, which is still valid in my, you know, in my world, it's, that's great. If it's not secure, it should not be running there. So 
in the end, that was a good outcome because we could quickly see that it failed and then we could take action. But just because there's a fix doesn't mean that you should just click the button and not think about it. The fix might be fixed for you automatically, but the impact of that fix is not something that will be fixed automatically. In this case, if you have a dependency that did not work over SSL because it was hard-coded, just as an example. So take care with it. Secure score is a super small thing. I like how you explained, you see here how it is calculated. I actually built my own secure score uh, for code quality in the past, where we also had tools that collected like all the uh, dangers in your code. We could put a, a code security and a code score on it. We calculated in, in a fairly similar way, but still not exactly. So I, I like this to understand like, is it a number 49% or 84%? What does it, what does it mean? But also when you click it, you can drill down and you see 18 out of 24 points here, 22 out of 56 points here. You know, some of my subscriptions have a maximum of 15 points and others have a maximum of 56 points. Others have even more. So it also depends on what kind of resources you have in there. The more different types of resources you have, the higher the score can also be because there's more things that need to be mitigated. I feel we can make this a super long topic with a lot of lessons learned, but I... I think, at least from my side, I got out of it the, the, the things that I wanted to say about Secure Score. It's a simple feature, but it can be powerful to work with. I promise the next time we are going to be talking about Secure Score, perhaps 50 episodes from now, I will have that one subscription with 37%. That's going to be at least. All righty. The last bit is the unexpected question. And, and this week, I am going to ask you, Toby. So here goes. Let's say... Someone wants to relocate to Sweden uh, around the area where you live now, not, not next door to you, but somewhere there. And they have the basic stuff set, like, like they have an apartment, they have a job, and that might be the reason they're moving to Sweden. But how would they sort of fit and integrate with the country and the culture? What sort of core advice would you give to somebody coming from, say, say Japan or Cape Town? or someplace remote that I imagine is super warm and busy and hectic and different from the Nordic countries. So what would you give us a, as a sort of a core advice for somebody landing in the local airport in the middle of the winter and asking, how, how will I survive here? <laughs> Hello, Sweden. So <laughs> there's, I mean, there's actually a lot of things that come to my mind here. And I'm, I'm going to run through a couple of things from the top of my mind. So I'm going to run through them fairly quick. One is, you know, people in Sweden love their coffee. And, and not just the coffee, but a coffee break in Sweden is called fika. And you will, if you go to Sweden, you will see fika everywhere. Uh, do you want the fika? Uh, do you want a coffee break? Essentially something that we do multiple times a day. Uh, so that's a, a tradition. Embrace it. You will get to know a lot of people over the coffee breaks. Coffee breaks are usually super friendly. Uh, if you're in an office, you meet at the water cooler or the coffee machine and you start and then you go into a meeting room and pretend to have a meeting, but it's actually a coffee break. But then it's a FICA meeting. So it's a coffee break meeting. So you essentially have a, a some kind of cookie uh, or whatever and a coffee or tea or whatever you want. And this happens a couple of times a day. Super important. Embrace it. And you shall not fail. Another thing that is perhaps a bit more funny is like physical cues because you said this could be from you know, different types of countries uh, far away from Sweden. I know cues work very differently in different countries. And physical cues in Sweden is, is a thing where you have to stand in line 
you don't just go into the shop and stand around. Like if there's someone at the counter, you stand behind them. And then the next person stands behind them. And then you form a long line, like a, a long queue. Some places do have the, the ticketing system. And, and then it doesn't matter. But I think the, like the physical queues, it's super ingrained in everyone in Sweden. So if you go into a shop and you see people standing in queue, you, you do not pass the queue, even if you just want to look in the, in the counter or if you want to look inside what they have, what type of coffee. You know, then you stand in the queue. That's it. Super Swedish, I think. In Sweden, it's also good to know this is a cultural thing. Uh, like it's, we are very informal with names. And I've come across this many times because I've, I've traveled to a lot of places. Hopefully I get to travel again soon. But I've, I've traveled a lot for business, mostly for business, some for pleasure, but mostly for business. And like your doctors, your university professors, your economic advisors, all of them will call you by your first name. And everyone expects you to do the same, right? But in, in a lot of countries, it's like doctor, last name, uh, professor, last name. We don't do that. So in, in school, for example, when you have a professor tutoring you, then you say, uh, sorry, Stefan, can you repeat? You don't say, I'm sorry, Professor Hucklebar, Bert, or whatever. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't do that. So in Sweden, we're very informal with that. Um, you know, it might even be a strange thing if you say, excuse me, sir, or sir, or madam. Uh, we don't do that a lot. So also something that is culturally good to, uh, to know. And then, I mean, we have the logum. It's a word we talked about a lot when we had our Swedish-Finnish word games in the podcast. Logum is a word like uh, just enough uh, or in moderation or appropriate. And it's a word that you will see a lot So, and, and hear a lot. You go into a, a coffee shop and someone is standing in front of you and the barista says, so how much coffee do you want? And they're going to say, well, logum, which means, well, just about right. So it's, it's not a real precise measure, but it's a good word to know. And when you're not sure, you can just say, oh, log them. So someone asks you, how much do you want? Oh, just log them. And I think the final thing, and I encountered this a lot when I was in the U.S. I went to U.S. for the MVP Summit. I went to U.S. to meet some friends and spend some time in, in you know, the homes of, of some friends in there. In Sweden, we take off our shoes when we're inside. This is super important because a lot of places, especially the U.S. that I went to a lot, um, people just walk into other people's homes with their outdoor shoes on. You know, they have mud and dirt and all kinds of stuff. You just walk straight in. In Sweden, everyone, 100% of households, pretty much, put the shoes inside the door. You can have something called indoor shoes, which is something else, uh, like a pair of slippers, but take off your shoes right? Because it's, if you walk into someone else's home with your shoes on, that, that it's not good, right? It's, you're sending very bad vibes, but it's also uh, respectless in Sweden because everyone is meticulous about cleaning their floors. Now I can go on and on about things that are, you know, specific for, for Sweden, but I think that's the main things or my main takeaways from the top of my head. And I, perhaps to round it off, if you're still listening, the state-owned alcohol monopoly called Systembolaget is the only place you can buy liquor and wine and alcoholic beer above 3.5%. So we, in Sweden, you cannot just go to the grocery store and say, hey, I want a bottle of wine. We have a, a state-owned alcohol monopoly, and it's working out really great. 
It's a very well-sorted boutique. Uh, they exist pretty much in every city. You know, prices are good. Some claim that it's super expensive because it's cheaper to just take a minivan, go down to Germany and, and fill your uh, car with, with beer. And it is. Uh, but the, uh, the selection they have on sustainable audit is actually pretty good. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to round it up there. I, I just <laughs> came to think about a few other things that's funny about Swedes, but maybe that's for a, for a different show. I think I'll round it up there. Excellent, excellent advice. On the last bit, when I went to high school here in Finland, it, it, at the time it was still mandatory to learn Swedish uh, besides English and, and Finnish, of course. Our teacher at the time, he was almost about to retire. And, and the first lesson he, he taught us was that, guys and girls, whenever you go to Sweden, you can use the magic word, word systemet. And I think that <laughs> applies to systembolaget. So everybody sort of knows that you are in the know that the special type of store that sells <laughs> alcohol is close by. Yeah. Then, then so, you're truly integrated. <laughs> exactly. Excellent advice. Hopefully this will be useful to somebody perhaps integrating or relocating to Sweden. Thank you for joining this week. Again, this was a nice chat about Secure Score. And until next week. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.